When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello and welcome to the Parenthood. For many of us, thinking about becoming a parent marks a dramatic shift in our lives. We've often spent the last one or two decades desperately trying not to get pregnant and suddenly it all changes and we're trying to do the opposite. For many couples, their pregnancy comes as a surprise. For some, it comes without much thought. But for more than we're probably aware, making a baby takes longer and is more difficult than we think. So today I've got with me Dr. Kiara Hunt to talk frankly about conception, how to make sure if you're trying that you're actually doing what you can, what what you should be doing to to succeed. But then also if you do need help, what you can do to assist the process. So Kiara, let's start with the basics. What exactly is infertility and when when is it classified as sort of infertility? So I think um infertility is basically not getting pregnant having been trying for two years and that's the the nice uh, definition of it but that doesn't mean you don't get help until you've been trying for two years um usually usually you'll start speaking to your doctor and getting some tests done before that um and if you look you know pregnancy for most people doesn't happen that quickly if you have a hundred couples um who are under 40 trying to conceive about 80 or 90 of them will conceive in the first year Um, so 10 or 20% won't. And of those that don't, half of them will conceive in the second year without Without any any problems or any help. Uh, And the rest of them will need a bit of help or might need Because I think, you know, sometimes this, because we've been, you know, trying not to get pregnant, you think you don't use a condom once and you are absolutely pregnant. It doesn't really happen like that, does it? Yeah, and of course you hear the stories of that happening, um, but that is extremely rare, especially the older we get. Um. So what, it, it depends on age though too, because obviously as you get older, you're, you do become less fertile and how much less fertile you become, you don't really know. I mean, it's quite difficult to know. One 38-year-old will be very fertile and another 34-year-old will not be that fertile. Yeah, or well, even quite a lot younger than that. Um, and that's because your ovarian reserve doesn't gradually peter off. It tends to sort of fall off a cliff at a certain age. And when that age is, um, is as anyone's guess, but it's, usually about it you know gets worse from 36 and um, possibly earlier than that so does that mean that if you have been trying for a you know let's say six months but you are approaching 40 does that mean you should look for help sooner yeah so the general guideline is is try try for a, a year and make sure you're doing everything that you should be doing to be trying which we'll talk about um and then seek help and have some tests now if you're older than 36 then yes you want to be seeking help and having those tests earlier than that one year point 
So infertility in terms of, you know, what causes it? What what are the sort of most common? I mean, obviously, there's a whole myriad, myriad of issues. Um, but what are the sort of main causes of, of failure to conceive? Um, so you have to look at the at the woman and at the man because obviously both can um, can well both have to play a role here. <laughs> um, so if you're looking at causes of female infertility, you're looking at plot problems in the ovaries, problems in the tubes, or problems in the uterus. Um, and uh, the most common cause is. Um, ovarian dysfunction so um, the ovaries not releasing eggs every month or um, the egg quality or quantity not being not being good enough Um, but there can be um, there can be also disease pathology in the ovaries so like polycystic ovaries and things like that and there can be scarring of the tubes so obviously the eggs are made in the in the ovaries they have to travel down the tubes into the uterus um, to be fertilized and uh, if there's tubes are scarred from having surgery before, having infections in the pelvis from sexually transmitted infections, that can be a problem and could prevent conception. Um, or problems in the uterus. So do you, are there problems with the lining of the uterus? Um, do you have endometriosis or fibroids or things in the uterus that can, that can um, uh, impact whether or not an embryo implants or even fertilizers in the first place? Uh, and then obviously with, with, the, with the man, it can be... Um, problems with the the, the uh, motility of the sperm, so the, the the speed the sperm travels, the the um, structure of each individual sperm itself, and it can be to do with the the anatomy of the man as to is the sperm actually getting to the right place uh, before it even comes out. So. In terms of, you know, if, if we've got a couple sitting here listening to this, thinking, trying to get pregnant, what is the most important thing to be doing? Obviously, having sex. Yeah. <laughs> but you laugh here. about that. And actually, it's amazing how how a lot of couples couples trying to conceive are not having enough sex. And, you know, the advice is you need to be having sex every two to three days throughout the month. And, and yes, you can sort of um, target the uh, ovulation window, but in terms of um, sort of stress levels and looking at all the studies they've done uh, into natural conception, if you are having, uh, if you're having sex every every two to three days, you're most likely to conceive. You don't you don't want to sort of be storing. Don't think you need to sort of store it up and then it's more likely to be successful. It's it's much better if it's if it's regular. So that's that's probably the most important thing. And then um, I'd say one of the next most important things is stress levels stress and anxiety levels and of course as soon as you're not able to conceive when you've been trying and expecting and hoping to for such a long time can cause heightened anxiety and a lot of stress and we know that stress itself um, affects your hormones affects the way potentially that you ovulate um, affects your ability to carry an embryo in the early in the early days so um, so stress is a huge factor and then of course looking after yourself so making sure your weight is healthy and that's not just being overweight but being underweight you know if you if your body mass index i you know your height against your weight is out of the what's known as healthy range you, your body is going to find it much more difficult to conceive um so so making sure you put on a bit of weight if you need to or lose that bit and how really can important. being overweight prevent you from from getting pregnant surely I can see how the underweight you know because obviously your body is not going to make a baby unless it has the energy levels to sustain that pregnancy but in terms of being overweight how does that affect so pregnancy? we're not talking so a little bit overweight we're talking obese or morbidly obese um, when actually the the weight itself is having quite a significant impact on your hormones 
um, and your sugar levels and your um, insulin and your uh, and your uh, female hormones as well. So that so not everyone that's overweight is not going to carry a baby, of course not. But um, but if you look at the studies, uh, uh, often a cause of subfertility is is being obese. And does that count for the men as well? Yes, it does. Does yes, it? Yes, it does. And, and and actually other lifestyle factors such as smoking and drinking count quite significantly for the men as well. So obviously most women who are, who are trying to conceive will be cutting back on alcohol or, da- or cutting out alcohol altogether and stopping smoking and any recreational drug use and um, but it is as important uh, for 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 men. So men trying to conceive are advised to reduce, to keep their alcohol intake to less than 14 units a week. Um, so that's kind of half pints or small glasses of wine. But it, it, in in sort of um, not not as a binge, you know, it's binging that is actually not good for 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 conception. Um, so and it's potentially not a bad idea, you know, if as a couple you think, you know, we've been trying or sort of not not trying for a mm, bit. Mm. Now we do kind of want a baby actually just to do a bit of a health drive together and think a bit more carefully about eating healthily, about doing things that don't stress you out. Because, you know, there are obviously some stresses that you can't control. You know, if your work is stressful, then that is quite difficult. But actually stressing about whether or not you're pregnant is something you can control. And, you know, even doing something like, you know, mindfulness or, um, you know, there are some apps just giving yourself a bit of sort of time to to let your brain process and cope with the fact that you might not be getting pregnant and maybe also just being mindful amongst you know your friends who are pregnant maybe being around them a lot with their children is is not helping you so maybe you choose to hang out with other friends yeah I think that um and as I said before stress definitely plays a major role and actually taking a break from it or not thinking about getting pregnant is often the the best thing you can do a lot of my patients have got pregnant when they've gone on that holiday that they thought well we're just going to stop trying and see what happens and then they get you know they will get pregnant um and there's a lot of evidence actually I mean I've had so many bump class girls you know through the years who have had years of trying to get pregnant unsuccessfully and then have sort of given up and you know one girl I was talking to the other day she said oh I, I got a dog and that dog was going to be uh you know a replacement for this baby we so wanted and as soon as the dog was there they got pregnant and you know another girl had sort of decided that they were going to foster because she hadn't got pregnant after so many years of trying and it, and it just happened and it just shows that eliminating one stress and sort of getting your head around the fact that maybe things aren't going to go as planned is is sort of beneficial yeah absolutely absolutely and I think you know when you're when you're when you're trying for a baby before you've gone down the route of getting any help it's important just to ha- have a bit of an idea about how your body's working, what your menstrual cycle's like, roughly, you know, when you ovulate in your cycle, how your body changes and becoming a bit more sort of body aware in that sense. Um, and uh, and that, I think, can, can really help. What well, so sort of noting down your periods, how long they last for, how regular they are? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, you know, most, uh, the average cycle is 28 days, but, but women are different. Some have shorter cycles, some have longer cycles. But as long as they are regular, which they should be, then you can you can take notes of certain things like your like well for, you can even take a note of your sort of body temperature throughout the the cycle your um, cervical discharge which changes around the time you ovulate um, looking at like you said the length of the cycle and all those things together can give you a bit more of an idea as to wh- when you're ovulating so ju- I suppose just to go back your 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 your, your period begins on your menstrual cycle begins on day one of your period and ends the day before your next period arrives okay so um if when you first start bleeding is day one 
and you have a 28 day cycle it's usually halfway through that cycle day, about day 14 that you ovulate and it's around that time that you can get pregnant because an egg will live for roughly 12 to 24 hours um and but that doesn't mean you just have a window of 12 to 24 hours because um uh, because the sperm can live in the body for seven days so you could have had sex before you ovulate and get pregnant when you ovulate so you've got a bigger window to be timing your conception but you obviously can't have sex after you've ovulated because well 24 hours you can 24 hours you can yeah exactly so do you think those ovulation kits are a good idea i mean you get loads of apps now ovulation kits there's so much you get now that can that can you can use to monitor so yes the the ovulation kits where you urinate on a stick and it tells you your different hormone levels and and roughly when you're ovulating and uh, the apps that track your body temperature so the body temperature your your it will if you're tracking your body temperature it will it will rise by 0.2 degrees roughly after you've ovulated um and your cervical discharge will become more sort of um egg egg like raw egg egg white that sort of thing um uh, at about the time of ovulation the trouble with all that is that it can become it can become quite stressful and certainly the ovulation kits um, I've f- generally found them to be more of a hindrance than a help for most people because you become so obsessed by them and everything revolves around your ovulation and actually what's important is that you're having a relaxed lifestyle and and uh, are you aware of when you're ovulating but it's not all all uh, revolving around that. And I think, you know, then going back to the having sex, you know, you're then sort of furiously, you know, being forced to have sex during this window and it sort of takes the joy out of it. And actually, it's one of the greatest, you know, joys in life and and kind of quite lovely that it starts new life. So, yeah, well, I think once you start actively trying to conceive, you know, and start getting worried about it, it can take a lot of the romance away, which which I don't think does much for stress levels and probably therefore fertility levels which is why i think the recommendation or the studies have all shown that actually having sex every two to three days throughout the month rather than desperately masses of times over the ovulation period is is much more effective um in terms of age obviously there's a lot about age in the papers and how maternal age is increasing uh, but also how um in the public eye people aren't talking enough to girls about how you know their fertility does drop off you get told as a girl don't get pregnant don't get pregnant you know your life will change but actually how a lot of women sort of don't think about their fertility until they're maybe in their mid-30s and then someone tells them that you know that boat has sailed Mm. how old is too old when it comes to fertility well I I don't think there's a simple answer to that because it will depend woman on woman but um if you look at um, the data, women's fertility will start to decrease after the age of 30. Well, it will start to decrease significantly after the age of 36. It starts decreasing already in our early 20s. Um, but So but we're at our most fertile around like in our 16, teenage years, yeah, 17. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, and as a species, we're designed to be having babies then um you know if you look at births as well teenage births generally much more straightforward i'm not advocating teenage births just looking at uh looking at how our bodies function and are most able to function with pregnancy birth conception and interestingly we're one of the only species that lives beyond our childbearing years there's very other very few other i don't think there are any animals that live significantly beyond their childbearing years um but humans are obviously living for much longer yeah. and i think if you look at the um, 
um, if you look at the the studies in, into fertility, um, it's it, it's sort of yeah mid thirties onwards. But you know there are many people in their so forties, early forties who have conceived naturally. Uh, the other thing to remember, of course, is that it is egg age we're talking about, um, not necessarily the mother's age. So if you if you if you have eggs that have been frozen or donated that are younger, then then it's that that's determining the fertility rather than the age of the woman carrying it. And is it worth potentially girls, you know, in their 20s having fertility tests? Or do you sort of think... No, a fertility test in your 20s is not going to tell you anything about when... Well, it's unlikely to tell you anything about your fertility further on later on in life um i mean more and more people are asking these days about egg freezing if they're not in a situation to have a child in their in their 30s 40s um and that is something that is it is becoming possible for women to do now is to freeze their eggs uh, before they're before they're they're no longer effective and how 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 likely is a frozen egg to result in a live child i mean is it, it a sort of guarantee or no, no, is it it's absolutely not a guarantee um and it also very much depends on when that egg is frozen if it's collected and frozen in your 20s um or early 20s preferably it's much more likely to succeed than if it's in your early 30s um and it's probably not worth doing it in your late 30s or or, or early 40s and i suppose it's also worth pointing out that collecting an egg to freeze isn't just a sort of additional thing that your gynecologist can do at your smear test it's no no it's a uh, big procedure it's yeah. a general anesthetic it's um inducing um ovulation by injecting hormones into yourself in the preparation for it it's, I mean, it's basically it's, ivf isn't it the first, it's stage, the first of stage of ivf yeah so and, it's a sort uh, of month of pretty miserable yeah. injections and it is. It's not a. It's not a small thing. Absolutely. It's. It's. It's uh, quite invasive. Uh, it can make you feel quite bad with all the hormones you're having to inject. Um, but that's a decision you have to make if that's the route you're gonna. You're choosing to go down. Uh, it's very different from giving a, a sperm don't. So, you know, storing sperm. Yeah. <laughs> that's a relatively simple procedure. And one question I've always never quite had the answer to: Do you actually release eggs every month? Does a fertile woman who sort of has no problems, does she always release an egg a month? Not always, but most healthy women with a regular cycle and no pathology will, will release an egg every month. But um, it's quite common to, to, to for, 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 for a woman not to ovulate in a particular month, particularly if she's been ill or particularly stressed or traveling a lot, um, or there's any issues with with polycystic ovaries or um, any other gynecological pathology and as a woman gets older does that egg release become a bit more haphazard yeah it does so yet the younger you are the more likely you are to release and and that's one of the that's one of the treatments for subfertility is giving you a a medication that um, will enable you to release an egg every month Um, we'll talk about treatments uh, in a bit i'm sure Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Obviously, sort of, if, if people are listening to this not getting pregnant, really the first sort of stage is to really try, think about your lifestyle, think about your stress levels, and make sure you're having enough sex. Try not to obsess about um, the ovulation. Um, and then the second stage is presumably to go and get checked out as a couple. Absolutely. And I think you know, the important thing is to do that as a couple. And the first step would be to go to your doctor um, who will do the sort of initial basic test. So that will include sperm tests for the for the male, for the man in the relationship um, and the and uh, blood tests. And a scan is normally the basic test for a woman. So that will look at um whether or not she's ovulated that month. It's done at a certain time every month. Um, it might look at her ovarian reserve. There's a test you can do to look for, to look at, that gives a marker of your ovarian reserve, roughly the quantity of eggs left. Uh, and I then, can tell by your face it's not that accurate a test. It's, it's not like 7,824. <laughs> no, and it's not a number. Four. No, no, it's not a number that is telling you the number of eggs left. It is It is a representation of of whether it's, norm, you're, it's normal for your age or, or perhaps under for your age. Um, so it's 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 can be reassuring. But as I said earlier, your fertility doesn't gradually decline. It sort of drops off. So it could be great and reassuring when you have the blood test, but actually... Um, you know, two months later, it could be in your boots. So that's not, um, it's not that accurate. Um, but it's, but it's, it's a test they might well do. Um, and also with the blood test, they'll want to take a test on certain days of your cycle. So, um, and, and just, I suppose, useful to know most of those tests and scans are usually done right at the beginning of the site of the cycle, sort of around day two or three. And another one then um, towards the end at about day 21 or when they'd want to do that. So if you're timing visits to, to doctors for blood tests, if you can do it around those times, you might be killing two birds with one stone. So um, that's just checking out if there are any problems. What's the next step up? I mean, you know, we hear a lot about IVF in the media, but that that's not the only solution, is that is it? Yeah, I mean, actually, the other test that they'll do in the GP will be will be STI checks because that's one of the very common causes of infertility is is sexually transmitted, sexually transmitted infection for the man and the woman. So, um, but then you'd be referred to a specialist, um, and they um, would do some further tests, so possibly more blood tests, more scans, but they might also do a sort of dye test where they put some dyes into your fallopian tubes and take x-ray pictures of them and see if there's any blockages of the tubes um, and they may even do what's called a laparoscopy which is a little operation um, using a keyhole th- through the abdomen where they can look with a camera at your ovaries and your um, tubes and your uterus and see if there's anything that they can see that's wrong there um, and that and, and they can uh, potentially treat some things that they might see a wrong at the time and for a lot of couples these tests bring up that everything's fine but you absolutely. know you've still been trying for a year and a half and nothing's happened oh absolutely i mean there's a large proportion of um causes of infertility it's not causes is is unexplained infertility and you know, that's about 20 percent of couples uh, it's just never explained and that can be particularly frustrating and you know, difficult to deal with i think uh, and so can they help you in that in that situation if it is unexplained fertility can they sort of try and sort of boost more releases of eggs or is yeah so then if for you know if they find a cause it's obviously it's often easiest because they can try and treat the cause and then your fertility will hopefully return um but if if you can't find a cause or the cause isn't treatable then they like low egg reserves or like bad quality of eggs something like that well or um you know completely scarred fallopian tubes that are never going to become 
unblocked or um you know that sort of thing so so then they will then they will offer you different treatments depending on what it is that the problem is um so so medication was the first thing they they'd sort of look at and and like like you said before that is medication that you get um which uh sort of encourages your month a monthly releasing of an egg um and uh that's you might have a medication called clomid or clomiphene that people 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 often have um and that's if you're not regularly ovulating that that is really helpful um but there are lots of other types of medications um, hormone medications or metformin, tamoxifen, things like that that um, that are used in different circumstances. That would be discussed with your doctor. And then, so then the next stage up would be IVF. Not, no, no, not. Uh, then they might um, do surgery. So sometimes, you know, I talked about the laparoscopy where they do keyhole surgery um, and they're looking with a camera. Um, sometimes they'll they'll offer that as a treatment as well to especially if there's any history of sexually transmitted infections and possibly scarring within the pelvic or you've had surg- other surgery in the pelvis before and they can sort of t- clear some of the scar tissue and that itself can be can be a, a treatment um, and then they'd go for assisted conception but again that's not straight for IVF um, there's uh, something called um, IUI or sometimes called artificial insemination In, IUI stands for um, intrauterine insemination so that's basically uh just, turkey baster uh it's not quite turkey baster <laughs> but it's but it's putting it through the cervix so it's it's getting the sperm sample it's cleaning washing it and selecting the best sperm and then using a pipette using and this is done just like a smear test is done no general anesthetic um using a pipette to to go through the cervix and like having a coil put in basically and then they 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 put this the they just place the sperm the cleaned and selected sperm straight into the uterus um and uh yeah and and for for a lot of women that works um and then and then if that doesn't work what what's next um so then the step up from that would be ivf so um iui is 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 just sort of natural conception i suppose but but helping it along in a controlled environment so it's, but the fertilization is happening in the body ivf you're taking that fertilization outside the body so with ivf um the you're collecting the egg from the woman taking it out of the body fertilizing it in the laboratory selecting the embryo and putting the embryo back in the uterus um and that's 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 much more complicated and quite a lot more invasive for the woman um who's undergoing ivf um so and that that process also takes a long time just talk me basically through that that process it starts with sort of so stimulating the eggs well first doesn't it? no first they give you medication that suppresses your own sort of normal cycle and then they give you different medication that um sort of boosts your egg supply or stimulates your eggs because they want you they want to collect as many eggs as possible but they have to do that in quite a controlled way because you don't want to stimulate your ovaries so much that you can get ill from that um, so they 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 give you just enough to produce hopefully lots of eggs. Um, then they have to monitor you quite regularly, so they'll be doing lots of ultrasound scans to to look at how those eggs are developing, and and working out when the right time is to collect them. Um, and those are transvaginal ultrasound scans. People don't often know that that's using a probe through the vagina to look at the ovaries. It's where you, how you get the the, um, the the best views of the ovaries. So not the jelly on the tummy. Not thing, the jelly it? on the tummy thing. Exactly, it's jelly on the probe through the vagina into the vagina and then the next stage will be collecting the eggs when they've the scan is showing it's the right time to collect them and that is a general anesthetic a light general anesthetic not for very long um but still you're under under 
and a general. Um, and then they, they go through and, and using a little needle into the ovaries, they collect the eggs that have... that have. And that um, doesn't harm the ovaries themselves? No, that doesn't harm the ovaries. And um, how many eggs do they collect? Is it one or two? Or? Well, it depends how many of the women's produced. It can be, can be quite a lot. It can be 10, 15. It can be one or two or none. And um, so, and then when they've got the eggs, they will take in the laboratory. They will fertilize them, and then they have to watch them through the watch the embryo if it if it succeeds through the different stages of early development. And at a certain stage in embryo development, they will do the embryo transfer. Do they do they fertilize? Use it one sperm, or do they just chuck a load of sperm no, in no, the egg and sperm. see what happens? Yeah. One sperm. <laughs> I'm not. A, I'm not an IVF laboratory uh, scientist. So, I, as far as I'm aware, it's just one sperm. But um, but uh, and then they they watch them grow, and then they then they implant the embryo back into the back into the uterus, and that's called embryo transfer. And they'll usually put one, sometimes two embryos back in. And you will have discussed that with them before. And I think in the UK, it's it. You can't put any more than two. Is that right? Yes. Yes, in different countries they will sometimes put more in, but obviously uh, multiple pregnancies, especially in older women who are not who are often um, the patients at this stage, it's quite dangerous. Um, but then, of course, you know, yeah, and yes, you're you're pregnant in inverted commas because the, they've put an embryo inside you, but uh, you know, there's no guarantee that that embryo is going to be taken up by your body, and you can't test for that usually for two two weeks late um, after the embryo transfer. So that's a bit of a waiting game as well, and very often. And it's not, it's absolutely not guaranteed. People often say to me, if I have IVF, does that mean I'll definitely have a baby? And unfortunately not. And again, that does depend on age. Um, so the older you are, the less likely IVF is to work or the older your eggs are, the less likely is IVF to work. So if you look at the statistics, um, if you're less than 35, you've got a 37% of IVF working, of being successful. And um, by the time you get to 40, it's 15%. 43 it's 5% and over 44 it's 1.9%. So you know that's that's 10 years between 35 and 45 your chances are going from 37% to 1.9%. So um, it's not unfortunately guaranteed and it's amazing what it's amazing what it's amazing what can be done now. Um but it's not um it's not that straightforward. And that's obviously then if those eggs are yours, because another option is presumably to to have not your eggs. If you are older or if your eggs are of not good quality or you don't have that many of them, um, is to... to or you've frozen a, them before. Or yeah. you've frozen them before, yeah. Is to get a donor egg. So, yeah. um, so if you haven't been wise enough or had the money or even the foresight uh, to freeze and, and quite frankly egg freezing wasn't really readily available no, 20 years ago when I was 20. No, absolutely I mean the egg freezing um, process has changed quite a lot even the method they used for freezing it is is different now so it's much more successful now than it was even a few years ago which is why it's being talked about more um, but yes no, most people haven't thought of that um, you know by this stage um, so, so yeah, you so you've got the option of donor from someone else. So yeah. you can have if someone the, else's if egg. If the problem for, of the fertility has been has been either worked out as unexplained or most likely to do with the egg, then yes, that is an option to use a donor egg um, f- from either someone you know or uh, from a donor bank, either in this country or abroad. Um, and and then it's then it's the the, the egg that egg itself also the age of the woman at the time of donation of that egg that would determine the likelihood of you know like i gave you those statistics now if she's yeah. less than 30 if she's less than 35 then it's a high chance and are most egg donors you know for commercial purposes yeah, do younger. they tend to be pretty young yeah i think they have to be less than 35 in most countries but and a lot of them are younger than that yeah um, and do you get details about you know anything about the egg donor like 
physical features or anything like that? It depends where you do it. Um, um, and I think most places give a, a very brief details. I think height, eye color, hair color, um, and what country they're from. Yeah. Um, but and then in this country again, uh, with egg or sperm donation, I think since two thousand and three, the law changed. I might be wrong on that, the date, but where, where um, the, the it's no longer anonymous, and they uh, the child will always have will always be able to find out the origin of the egg, the or identity sperm. of the person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas abroad, in various European countries um, or other countries in the world, that's not the case. So some people choose to go abroad. And um, I mean, I think, you know, speaking to women who are in this situation, I think one of the sort of things that they have to get their head around if they've got to this stage is that if they have an egg donor, I think, you know, a lot of women feel a bit sad that they will bear no genetic, you know, they won't have have any shared genetics with their child. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, if, if if it's your partner's sperm that's being used, that will still be your partner's child, but it won't. Well, be it will still be your child because you're carrying the child. You know, it's a, it's a few cells before it's uh, implanted into you and you're growing and nurturing this this uh, embryo. Um, so it, and you know, it depends it on baby. how and turning into baby. It depends on what your sort of um, views are on 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 that. But I mean, there's some really interesting um, data coming out now in terms of ep- what we call epigenetics. Um, so we know that obviously your baby, as soon as the, the embryo is fertilized, the, the, the egg is fertilized and an embryo is formed, the baby has its own unique code, its own unique DNA. But we know that uh, those genes in the DNA are being activated um, throughout the baby's life. And that life is starting as soon as they are an embryo. So um, that looking at the, the, the what epigenetics is is looking at the impact of the environment on that embryo throughout the pregnancy and actually how the, the the environment of the embryo which is by the by the mother can can uh, cha- can activate some of those genes um, so I think that's absolutely fascinating and I think it's also quite interesting for mothers who are are mothers uh, through egg donation um, it's you know, there's something quite um, reassuring about that that so your baby you know if you if you had an egg donor your baby still could share some of your characteristics and that has been yeah I have a patient who has um who has twins um through egg donation and she and her both her children have identical birthmarks that's amazing. Um, which you know shouldn't happen. I mean, that shouldn't. I mean, that's not. That shouldn't be possible. And because egg donations only really just started happening, we're sort of at the forefront of of this scientific revolution. So I suppose in a way, we're only just beginning to understand the, the sort of intricacies of what is happening. And yeah. I mean, science always baffles us. It always throws us a bit of a curveball, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, some uh, we're enabling some amazing things to happen through through um, fertility treatments. Be that you know, simple IUI or, 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 you know, egg donation. It's life-changing for, for lots of people. And it's incredible, really. I mean, of course, you know, we've talked about, we're talking about all this and there's so much possibility, but there is a quite significant cost implication. So in the NHS, uh, for example, you're not eligible for IVF if you're over 43, or there might be lots of reasons why you have to pay for it yourself, and it's and it's not it's not cheap. And it's a bit of a lottery, I think, as far as I've heard. You know, depending on where you live, what you're offered, and what the parameters are. Well, I think are uh, in this country, and I know lots of people all over the world uh, might be listening to this, but in in England, I think you get, I think you still get two cycles of IVF on the NHS if you meet the criteria, which are that you've been trying for two years 
or you've had 12 unsuccessful artificial inseminations um, and you're under 43 uh, so, but again, yes, it's it, that's the guidelines, and each each author, each local authority will actually make the final decisions as to who they, uh, how many they pay for, basically. Um, when, so, when it comes to egg donation, obviously the maternal age has an impact in terms of pregnancies, just in themselves, are more complicated. Not the conception part, the the pregnancy part is more complicated. The older you are, yeah. But theoretically, if it's a young egg that's being uh, inserted into a woman's, I mean. What if she's gone through the menopause? What if she's had a sort of early menopause? Um, could she still potentially host? Yeah, theoretically, yes. Theoretically, yes. So she, uh, a woman who just needs to have hormone treatment to prepare the body to be able to carry an embryo and obviously have lots of support throughout the pregnancy, so physically, and it is a much, much higher risk pregnancy. But in terms of the actual pregnancy the actual embryo it's the the age of the egg that is so the uterus doesn't start to shrivel up and become um it, it becomes more and more complicated the older you get i mean it's, um, i certainly wouldn't advocate a postmenopausal woman <laughs> acting as a surrogate um but theoretically it's possible and th- then that's the the other option then if if you know the problem is is not necessarily conception but actually being pregnant and staying pregnant and being able to you know if your uterus is the problem Mm. the other option is to use a surrogate which is where an embryo that might be your egg and your partner's sperm or it might be a donor egg um, or donor sperm or both um, is gestated in another woman's body Mm -hmm. and so she facilitates the pregnancy with your baby yeah absolutely so that is another option if if for whatever reason a woman isn't able to carry a baby and that could be because she had to have a hysterectomy aged 30 for a a cancer of the of the uterus or something like that and there simply is nowhere there to carry a baby you could still have a, a, a you could still use a surrogate um to do that uh, or like you say there's um there's recurrent miscarriage and or, or the, the woman simply can't can't hold a baby um that is an option again that's um you know it's slightly more complicated but there are options in this country and abroad for 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 finding an appropriate surrogate and um you know, again an amazing thing that we can do now yeah and i think you know women often worry about you know, if conception hasn't been as they imagined it, because I, I, none of us age 16 were imagining, you know, potential IVF or egg donation or surrogacy or any of the complications that I'd say a lot of our demographic are talking about now. You imagine you'll have sex and, you know, you'll be totally in love and then suddenly you'll be pregnant and it will be as, as easy as pie. And very often it's not. But I think one thing I feel that as a mother, I've realized is that however that baby arrives, it's your baby. And I honestly don't look at my children and feel that I love them so much because we share DNA. I love them because I know them really well and I love all their little quirks and personalities. Adoptive parents, they don't love their babies any less because they don't share DNA with them. They, you know, they're their children. And um, I think that bond you establish with a child happens however that child arrives scientifically. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kiara, for coming and talk to us about this. I hope you guys have found this helpful. I know this is a conversation that is sometimes difficult to have with friends. And so we thought that it would be a good idea to have it on a podcast so that if you are starting to worry or are worrying or even you're not worrying yet, but you just want to know the facts, I hope this has been helpful. 
Um, before you go, just one more request. Please do rate and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get it. We are overwhelmed with the amount of listeners we have had with the parenthood, um, but we can never have too many. And if you found this helpful, please do spread the word um, amongst your friends as well. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.